0: This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate The first time the river caught fire, Cleveland was just starting to be something, starting to fulfill the promise that Benjamin Franklin had seen nearly a century before, when he envisioned a great settlement, perhaps the best place in America for the American ideal to take root. A fruited plain along the banks of the Cuyahoga, where the citizen farmer, the new American, could rise up, and where a great port city could rise at the river's mouth, where it fed Lake Erie, and where that American could bring the fruits of his labors and send them across the lake and out to the world beyond. And so the city grew bit by bit, new homesteads dotting the riverside, lit by lamps, fueled by oil, extracted from slabs of blubber cut from the bellies of whales. But by mid-century, people had killed most of the whales while looking for that oil. And they wanted an alternative because they had gotten used to being able to see at night. And they found it not far from Cleveland, in a dark green goop that oozed from the hillsides of western Pennsylvania. And they found that if you pulled it out of the ground and distilled it, you could stop chasing whales. And by 1863, John D. Rockefeller had found the newest, and it would turn out one of the most enduring ways to make a killing in America. It wasn't in drilling for oil, not at first. It was in refining it, in turning that goop into kerosene or lubricant or anything else Rockefeller could figure out how to sell. So he built refineries on the banks of the Cuyahoga. And soon barges brought oil up and down the river and out across Lake Erie and out to the world beyond. And Cleveland, Ohio became the capital of the global petroleum industry for a time. And oil started seeping into the Cuyahoga, leaking from barges and pouring straight in as waste from Rockefeller refineries until the river shimmered in acrid rainbows and smelled of chemicals and petroleum instead of marsh grass and loam and marigolds. In one August afternoon in 1868, an ember caught the air and alit lit on the Cuyahoga and flames flashed on its surface and up the riverside and burned down factories and warehouses and millworks. That was the first time the river caught fire. The second time the river caught fire, it started in a meandering tributary that was more oil than water in 1883. It tore across the river and nearly reached a row of wooden buildings and nearly burned the city down. A city that was growing right then, fueled by an industry that poured fuel into its rivers and was reluctant to ask it to stop. The third time the river caught fire, it started in a grain elevator and raced down the hill where it was fed by the water itself instead of the water putting it out. The fourth time the river caught fire, it was 1910. By then, Rockefeller's Standard Oil was doing a fine business turning the green glop into gasoline. And some of it leaked from a barge tied up to a dock where five men were working when a spark from a passing tug hit the water and blew up the barge. It killed those five men, hurt five others. The river burned for three hours. The city was outraged. The fire chief called for new safety measures to stop leaks and called on the refineries to stop dumping oil into the Cuyahoga. The city council called for hearings. There were no hearings. The fifth time the river caught fire, it was 12 years later. Another three-hour inferno on the water. No fatalities, just property damage and hand-wringing. No change. The sixth, seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth, maybe more. Who could count? Times the river caught fire. In the 1930s and 40s, people were used to the river catching fire, used to being frustrated, used to the way that flaming outrage so quickly becomes a dull glow, and then fades away. And they had plenty to distract them, what with the war, and then the post-war boom, and a good baseball team. And the firefighters had gotten pretty good at putting them out, what with all the practice. And its fire chief was again calling on Standard Oil to stop the old problem. He pointed to an oil slick two inches thick that lurked like a troll beneath the Jefferson Bridge. The 11th time the river caught fire, November 1953, a tower of flame on the Cuyahoga burned down that bridge and boats and buildings. A million mid-century dollars in damage. An injured firefighter and front-page news for days. The 12th time the river caught fire, it was August 1969, Small one this time. Expertly snuffed out after about 20 minutes. Messed up a train trestle some. And hardly made the news. Most people in Cleveland barely noticed. A lot of them didn't live in Cleveland anymore. They'd moved out to the suburbs where the water didn't run in rainbows. Didn't ignite. But this twelfth time the river caught fire. This is the one you know about. This is that time the river caught fire in Cleveland. This is the thing you know about Cleveland that the river caught on fire there. There was an article weeks later in a special issue of Time Magazine on the plight of the American city. And there was plenty of plight to go around in 1969. This article was mostly about the horrific state of Lake Erie, the toxins, the habitat collapse, the junk just everywhere. It mentioned the fire in Cleveland, the 12th one, the 20 minute one. But it showed a picture of the 11th one in 1953 with the towering flames and the million-dollar damage. It didn't note the distinction. didn't note that other cities' rivers caught on fire plenty. Or that Cleveland had been trying to clean up the Cuyahoga since the last fire. And that one river fire in 16 years or so was something like progress. Johnny Carson didn't mention that in his nightly Cleveland jokes. Neither did the people who started calling the city the mistake by the lake. They'd seen the picture in time with the towering flames. Clevelanders could complain. They could try to set the record straight. But to what end? Their river caught on fire. Rivers shouldn't catch on fire. And the flames of outrage shouldn't be allowed to fade away. They need to be stoked and tended. And this time, that article in time got tossed onto the embers. Along with news of an oil spill in Santa Barbara. Along with copies of Silent Spring. In all the quiet work of environmentalists and ecologists, which was starting to be loud enough to be heard there at the end of the 60s. And the next time Time Magazine mentioned the Cuyahoga River, it was 1973, in an article about the Clean Water Act just passed by Congress, and the river doesn't burn anymore. The Memory Palace is written and produced and whatnot by me, with engineering assistance from Kathy Tu and research assistance from Andrea Milne. The Memory Palace is a proud, proud member of Radiotopia and PRX. We are supported by the Knight Foundation, by Adzerk, which provides ad serving technology, and MailChimp, which encourages teamwork, creativity, and chaos. Now, one of the best things about being a part of Radiotopia is the company I get to keep. If you guys aren't listening to Criminal from my fellow Radiotopians, Phoebe Judge and Lauren Spohr, please go check it out. It is a storytelling show about crime and criminals. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. I don't really like shows about crime and criminals, but I love Criminal. It's because Phoebe and Lauren have such a humane approach to these true crime stories. They bring such insight and even-handedness, and even a kind of grace to the show's subjects. and They just tell these stories so well that it's so good. And you should check it out if you haven't already. They uh, recently did a story about a tiger at a truck stop in Louisiana that is a particularly good pairing with my recent episodes about the panda and about the lion. Learn more about it and other Radiotopia shows at radiotopia.fm. Okay, we'll talk to you guys again.